0: Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm Bethany Lewis, the Concussion Coach. I'm a neurological occupational therapist and certified life coach, and I specialize in guiding people through their concussion recovery journey. I am passionate about helping people understand their injury, speed up their recovery, and reclaim control over their life post-concussion. The purpose of this podcast is to help increase awareness of concussions and the impact they can have on a person's life, and to bring hope to people who have suffered a concussion and those who love them. I firmly believe that sharing stories and knowledge about concussions will bring important light and understanding to this misunderstood and often invisible injury. The information in this podcast is meant to bring that awareness and hope and is not meant as medical advice. The opinions shared are those of the interviewees and my own. If you are suffering with lingering concussion symptoms, I have created a concussion coaching program specifically for you. I will be your mentor to guide you through your recovery journey, offering help with understanding and managing your symptoms, setting achievable goals, and learning how to manage your own thoughts and nervous system in order to get control over your life again. If this program sounds like something that would help you or someone you love, sign up for a free consultation. In the consultation, you'll get valuable information and resources and gain hope for your future sign up for your free consultation at the link in the show notes or at my website, www.theconcussioncoach.com. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Concussion Coach Podcast. I'm excited for today's interview and want to give you a little background as to how this one came about. My wonderful father-in-law actually suggested that I reach out to my guest tonight after he heard him speak at BYU's Education Week. David Morgan is a licensed psychologist and teaches about emotional resilience. While he does not specialize specifically in concussion-related mental health concerns, he has helped many people over the years with varying life-changing experiences that require emotional resilience. And I'm certain that what he shares today will be a benefit to concussion victims, their support network, and anyone really who is human and experiences human emotions. So buckle up for a great conversation. I'm going to give you a little bit more information on Dr. Morgan and then we'll just jump right into the interview. So, Dr. Morgan received a Bachelor of Science in Psychology, Master of Science in Counseling and Guidance, and Doctor of Philosophy, PhD, in Counseling Psychology, all from Brigham Young University. He has been a licensed psychologist for over 20 years. During that time, Dr. Morgan has treated and evaluated more than 10,000 clients. Dr. Morgan and his wife, Kristen, are the parents of six children, in addition to four daughters in law and five grandchildren. They are active members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Dr. Morgan has been a presenter at BYU Women's Conference, BYU Education Week, and has been featured on many podcasts, including The Church News and All In. His favorite hobby is going to Disneyland, and he has been over 100 times. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Morgan.
1: So happy to be here, Bethany. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got interested in psychology in the first place, who you work with specifically, and what you like most about what you do?
1: So my interest in psychology probably started back when I was in high school, although I didn't really understand. I thought I was a good listener. I thought, actually, I, I don't know that I was a really good listener. I thought I could give very good advice. That's what I thought about myself when I was in high school. And so I thought, well, that, that, that'd be great for mental health. When I went to college, I figured I was going to be a psychiatrist, that I was going to be a child psychiatrist, which is a medical specialty, a psychiatry as opposed to psychology, which is a PhD. And my mind got changed with two things. Number one was when I had to take a friend to urgent care for a a busted lip and they were stitching up his lip and I almost passed out. And I thought, if I am passing out at this, I don't know that I'm gonna do well in medical school. (laughs) And then when I was in my undergraduate at BYU, I took one of the first uh, pre-med classes, biology 200. And it was so hard. they, They called it a weeder class, which means... I think they made it intentionally difficult to get those who were not serious about medicine out of the program. And it worked like a charm for me because I said, I am out. I don't want anything to do with this. And that's when I decided to go the PhD route. Hmm. And then when I got into my master's, I think I had to spend about the first 18 months learning just how to be quiet because psychology is a lot more about listening than it is about giving good advice. And so once I learned how to listen and then give the advice, that was uh, that was helpful. My specific specialty. So it's kind of transitioning right now. I've we moved to Utah after spending 25 years in the Pacific Northwest, and when I was there, my specialization was largely largely in forensic psychology, where I'd work a lot with the court systems, lawyers, uh, mostly defense attorneys, sometimes prosecutors, uh, doing risk prediction and those sorts of things. Uh, since coming here, I've been doing virtual work for the state of Washington. Uh, helping people get access to uh, social services. And what I'm trying to do now is transition into mental health consultation for businesses. So helping businesses understand about mental health, help evaluating their systems to see if there's things that can be done more effectively to improve the mental health of their employees, those sorts of things. So so it's kind of an evolving practice right now. That sounds really interesting. And what I like most about what I do, I just... I, I love when I can, when I get the sense that someone gets a, a feeling of hope in their life. There's so many people that I deal with that just feel hopeless. They just say, "You know what? My situation has been like this for years, for decades, and it's never going to change." And to to see the light in their eyes when I can say, "You know what? There's probably there's this thing you can do," or even just to give them a sense of hope that maybe there's something they can do. I really like that. I think a lot of the problems that we experience in our mental health don't necessarily come from the mental health issue itself, but just come from this idea that we feel like we're powerless to do anything about it. Uh, and that's where the true despair and hopelessness comes in. And if you can empower people and just help them understand, no, there is something you can do about this. It may not change everything in your life. You might not be able to go from where you're at to you know complete optimal functioning you know, in a week or, or maybe even ever, but you can improve you can become better and healthier than you are now, I love just seeing that feeling of hope in them and giving them encouragement and then seeing them take the steps to make that happen in their lives.
0: I love that. I Yes, that is why I'm doing this podcast It's the, to try to get hope out there for people. It is yeah. really key. So I love that that's what you love about it. That's awesome. So why don't we just dive into emotional resilience here? What is it exactly? And why is it important?
1: So my favorite definition of emotional resilience is by Connor and Davidson. They're a couple of researchers, and uh, let me see if I can get the quote right. Uh, They said, emotional resilience is personal qualities that enable one to thrive in the face of adversity. So it's this idea of having whatever these personal qualities, these personal characteristics that when difficulty strikes, that that we don't collapse into a heap and that we don't just get through it and stay the same, but that we actually become better as a result of what, uh, of the challenges that we face. And I think, and I started researching emotional resilience just on my own, really at the beginning of COVID-19, as I was, you know, looking at how the, it was obviously the first time in my life, and I think probably in anyone's lives right now, where something that significant affected everyone in the world at once.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, There's been major catastrophes that have affected large portions of the world, but I wouldn't say that anything in our lifetimes or anyone who's alive now has that had something that's where everyone has been affected by it, and so I was curious. I'm like, how are we going to respond to this? How are we going to deal with with all these these difficulties that are that are affecting everyone? And and so that's when I started looking at emotional resilience. I think it's key now because uh, mental health issues are on the rise, probably for any number of reasons maybe better reporting, maybe we're getting, you know, it's easier to admit than it was, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But I think generally speaking, they're just, it's just getting more difficult. I don't know if it's the the signature difficulty of this generation or of the younger generation is to deal with anxiety and depression, but we know that those numbers are going up. And whereas in the history of the world, physical resilience was probably one of the most needed skills you had to know how to, you know, defend your family against a bear attack or, you know, survive through the winter, you know, in a log cabin. We don't have to do that anymore. But the issues that we face now are largely emotional, and so if we can't learn how to be emotionally capable, emotionally resilient, then I think we're going to be at a deficit compared to our forebears. Hmm.
0: That is a really interesting and good point that yes, it's the physical versus the emotional right now it's yeah it is very challenging. And are there specific trends in society that you see right now that make it challenging for people to have and practice emotional resilience?
1: Yeah, I think that the advent of social media has had some to do with that. I I'll, And to, to be just to go on the record, I do not like this idea that social media is bad, that it is causing all these issues. Uh, there's a billboard here in Utah that says, it says something like, Social media causes mental health issues in adolescence, and I'm like, I'd love to see that study that where they conclusively proved that, where they did a scientific experiment and showed that this causes mental health issues. Now, if they said something like contributes to, then that that would be one thing, but that doesn't play as well on a billboard, I don't think. <laughs> um, I think that I, I think social media is is like any sort of double-edged sword. It's depending on how you use it think you can use it responsibly. And I think it can be a great benefit to people. But I think that 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 comparison issue that is much more prevalent now, where you can see your life in comparison to what the way you think someone else's life is. My brother and sister-in-law just went to Tahiti for 10 days, had a wonderful time. And, And if you looked at their most recent Instagram, you'd think, oh my gosh, these guys live an idyllic life. But I can promise you, they've got their issues. You know, they've got things they struggle with and they just don't post them on Instagram. They don't post the argument with their teenager or they don't post, you know, the the issues they're having with their backyard or whatever. Yes. So I, I think that that has exacerbated it to a certain extent because we look at our problems and we tend to see them in more stark relief compared to what we think the problem-free lives of other people are and that's the fallacy is they have problems too. And, um, but, but I think that has contributed to it, to it, to a certain extent. And, and like I said, I don't, I, I really don't know. I don't know if you could pinpoint and say, yeah, this is the cause of the rise in mental health issues, but we know that regardless, we know that they're there and they're, and we just need to, to act and do something about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I like the, the point you made about how it's what we've Think other people's idyllic lives are. <laughs> it's not. Yes, it's not even yes. accurate. It's our perception that influences the way we think about everything. So that's important. Anything else about emotional res- emotional resilience in general that we should know about before we start applying this specifically to head injury?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, we'll talk about some principles tonight, and I- any sort of mental health or emotional improvement that we make is is going to be sustained over time, little by little. And so you might have, and and I think you're dealing with head injuries. I think it's perfect because you know this, uh, you know, the person might say, they'll say, well, you can learn to talk again, or you can learn to, you know, use a fork and spoon again or something like that. But it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort, consistent application of different skills in order to get there. And, And yes, we can improve, but it's gonna take, like I said, consistency over time. Emotional improvement is the exact same way. And so if people are listening to this podcast and they say, oh, I'd I'd love to be more more emotionally resilient, what do I do so that I can achieve that in the next week? It's not going to happen in the next week. It's going to, and if you do it inconsistently for the next two years, it probably won't happen either. There are gonna be specific things that you're you're gonna wanna do, the way that changing the way you think about things, confronting negative thoughts or incorrect thoughts, and then applying accurate principles and then doing that consistently over time is going to yield that benefit so that's why i say to people don't get frustrated if you try to do something different and better and you initially fail at it that's probably what's going to happen every single time but the more you do it the more you apply it you're going to get better at it and better at it to the point where you actually become expert at it or it becomes second nature to you yeah. so give yourself give yourself time it's okay
0: I think that's such a good point, especially going into this, just to know this is a skill that can be developed just like any other skill that you would want to learn. It takes time, it takes practice and consistency. So I think that's an excellent point. In my years of working with people with concussions, I've heard a range of emotions being discussed. And sometimes it depends on the stage of their recovery that they're in as to which emotions are most prominent. But I think that really understanding and embracing and allowing emotions is key to life in general, and is especially important for people going through challenging times in their lives. So I just want to take a second to share with you and our listeners some of the emotions that I've heard people who are dealing with post-concussion symptoms express, just so that we're all on the same page of like some of the things And I'm sure there's a lot more that I haven't even listed here, but some things that people are dealing with. So frustration and anger, and that can be in general or at God or the universe or whoever caused the injury or at the medical system or lack of correct information. Irritability. So that's kind of decreased patience for anything or anyone that's annoying. (laughs) Grief and loss of their own life and abilities, their goals and dreams of relationships that they've had. Depression, powerlessness, anxiety uncertainty and fear. And this is about a lot of different things too. So it can be fear of re-injury or of never recovering or what their future might look like, of not being able to accomplish their job or other people judging them. And then there's also guilt for not being able to show up as they used to in their roles and relationships for inconveniencing others or letting others down. So there's Those are just a few of the hard emotions that people express and that they're dealing with when they're dealing with this, uh, with head injuries like this. And on the positive side, I've also heard people express really deep feelings of gratitude for people and organizations that have been supportive and helpful for increased understanding, for new paths and interests that have opened because of their experience with head injury they often have increased compassion for others and appreciation for beauty and nature and the peace found there. There's There are definitely positive things that come out of this and emotions that are positive in association with this, but it really can be so challenging as well. And brain injury can affect the emotional processing centers of the brain itself and cause nervous system dysregulation, all of which can make impulse control and other emotional management skills really challenging. But I think that even recognizing and understanding that these principles of emotional resilience are definitely worth discussing and considering both for the people who've experienced a head injury and those supporting them. So what advice do you have? I'm. This is kind of, we're going to pull it back to more general here. But what advice do you give to people struggling with a significant and sudden change in their life or their abilities? Like how can they handle all of these emotions that come with this kind of loss?
1: Yeah, I think that the biggest issue, so I, I've seen this. Not so much, but sometimes in terms of head injury, a lot of the work I do for the state of Washington is uh, working with the Department of Social and Health Services. And these are people that are applying for assistance because they can't work anymore. And oftentimes it's because of a mental health issue, and that's why they're talking with me. But sometimes there's comorbid issues. There's mental health issues plus significant physical health issues uh, and and not always head injury, but it could be diabetes, COPD, chronic fatigue, any number of things that have left them unable to do the things that they have done in the past. And and so that's the common ground I would say is that you've got people who say, look, I." Uh, you see this very often in employments that were very physically demanding. So uh, for example, a guy who was a, a Mason for 20 years and now his back is out and he can't work anymore as a Mason. And so he just feels lost. He feels like, I I can't do, my identity is gone. I can't do this, who am I? And I imagine there's a lot of similarities there with head-injured people feeling like their their past self is no longer who they are, and just this feeling of, I'm never going to be able to achieve that again, which is where all those emotions that you listed came from, the frustration, grief and loss, powerlessness, uncertainty.
0: Yeah.
1: And what I tell these people first is, it's okay to have those feelings. Sometimes we think, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And I don't know that that's a good statement to make. Hardly ever. I mean, if maybe if you have been dealing with something for 10 years and are still not getting past it, then you might say, look, maybe it's time to to, you know, kick this into high gear and try to manage this a little better. But especially people in the short term, if they're, you know, just six months or a year post-morbid from their from their injury and they're saying, I'm still feeling depressed, I'm like, of course course, you're going to be depressed. Look at what you've been through. That yields depression, that yields anxiety, that yields uh, grief and loss. And the problem is when we heap another emotion on top of that, where we say, I shouldn't be feeling this. So now we have the additional feeling of guilt or, or whatever, then it's just too much. When I deal with people who suffer with anxiety, I tell them all the time, don't have anxiety about having anxiety. You know, they 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 get anxious and they think I shouldn't be feeling anxious, and so they're anxious about that. And now you've tripled the amount of anxiety there is. Instead of taking away that additional anxiety and saying it's okay for me to be anxious right now, either because this is an anxiety provoking situation or because I have an anxiety disorder and I haven't learned how to manage that completely yet, so it's okay for me to have this experience. I think just normalizing that and saying it's okay to have that experience. Is automatically going to reduce probably a good thirty to forty percent of the emotional weight that's being carried. So you, you just strip it down to the actual emotional issue that one that you that the event is likely to cause, as opposed to you know throwing our own misconceptions on it. The other thing that you mentioned that I really liked, you talked about how. On the one hand, you've got people who experience all these negative emotions, but then on the other hand, you have people that experience positive emotions, you know, more gratitude for life or learning to appreciate the beauty in different things. And we cannot discount the power of the way we think about things and how that affects our emotions, because you can have two people in almost the exact same circumstance thinking differently about that, and you're going to have different emotions that yield uh, because of that, and so helping people just change the way they perceive things. You don't even have to change anything about your actual situation. You can still be suffering from a head injury that that maybe the effects are permanent. But if you change the way that you think about it, you can change the way that you feel about it, and and oftentimes you can have a more positive emotional experience um, than otherwise.
0: Yeah. Okay. I love so much of what you just said. I think um, I actually the last. Uh, I had recently done a couple episodes on my podcast of where I was just kind of Saying thoughts <laughs> and and they very much align with what you were just saying. With you know, it's okay to experience negative emotions. The best way to deal with them is to get really good at feeling them, <laughs> because yeah. then it yeah. you're not you lighten that load. You're not adding a layer of hard on top of what's already hard by thinking that you shouldn't be feeling that way. So it's right. okay to it not be okay sometimes. I just I really love that yes. you brought that up. And then just the the power the the other um, episode that I did was about that power of the way that we think and how our thoughts really can impact everything <laughs> about our emotions and and then how we act and everything going forward from there. So it really is so, so important to be aware of allowing the emotions and also being aware of and intentional about how we think about things. And I think sometimes in the moment, it's hard to do that awareness, <laughs> um, oh, yeah. but when we do have access to that higher thinking power, it's definitely important to be really uh, intentional about that.
1: Well, yeah. and you could and you could compare that, like like you said, it's it can be very difficult in the moment to do that. And emotional improvement is is very similar to physical improvement. Let's say that you're you're out of shape and uh, and you want to run a half marathon. Well, some people can probably do that, but it's going to take months of training, right? And that first. You know, 1K that you run is going to be miserable and you're going to be huffing and puffing and your legs are going to hurt for days after that. But then you need to do it again and you do it again. And then pretty soon you can run two kilometers and then three kilometers and you keep going that way. You wouldn't expect just to decide, I'm going to run half marathon and be able to get up and run, you know, 13.1 miles. And emotional improvement is the same way. If you've been struggling with depression or anxiety or grief or loss or, frustration or whatever it is for 20 years and decide that tomorrow I'm going to be the opposite of that that's not going to happen you can try and you'll and it'll be frustrating and it'll hurt and you'll fall back into old patterns but then the more you do it the, the brain is so resilient it, it's uh, I mean probably outside of the heart I mean the heart is is the the main organ and that's what keeps us alive you can be brain dead but not heart dead right if you're heart dead you're just dead no such thing as as heart dead besides regular death. But the brain is so, uh, what's the right word? Kind of like malleable. It will do what you tell it to do. As far as your thoughts, you just have to be consistent at it. And if you are have been thinking the same way for 20 years, and then tomorrow you have an alternative thought to that and you say, okay, brain, I want you to switch and start thinking like this. The brain's going to say, yeah, right. We've been thinking this other way for 20 years and now you're just throwing one thought in there and you think we're going to change? No, this is the way we do things. But then if you can continue in that thought, the brain starts saying, all right, there's a pattern here. Let's let's see what's going on here. And then eventually the brain says, all right, make space for the new pattern. Get rid of the old stuff because he's not even thinking that way anymore. He's thinking this way in plan B and the brain will actually adopt that and make that kind of the the featured or the more prominent thought pattern your brain is completely unbiased when it comes to that it just reacts to what we feed it and the more you feed it over time the the more you know adaptable it's going to be
0: yeah. Oh, I love that. The neuroplasticity of the brain is the coolest thing. Yes. <laughs> so, Isn't it like great? <laughs> it. It, is, it is awesome. And I like to give people the analogy of like rerouting a river. Like if your thoughts and your yeah. patterns are a certain way, water is going to flow in the, the, pattern that's easiest right and so right. Like, there's that's already right. a really well established river it's going to be really hard and it's going to take one shovel full at a time but you can reroute it and then let that become the new way and have that but it does like you said it takes time it takes consistency yep. it's not going to happen overnight but but it can become the new way and the easier way the automatic way that's for- exactly right and i think it's important too i love what you were saying about know the changes that can happen and i do think it's important to look back and notice those changes and to recognize how far you've come because i think i talk to clients all the time and this is you know physically symptoms wise as well as emotionally but when they look back and they say oh okay (laughs) compared myself right now compared to six months ago or a year ago or whatever like they there is significant progress and it's so easy, I think, to forget that when you're having a hard day and you are just you're yeah. worried that it'll never get better. But when you do take the time to, to look back and be like, oh, actually, these kinds of days are happening way less frequently than they used to, or things right. like that, it can be encouraging, I think.
1: Well, but, and I think it's very important for people who suffer head injuries to not compare themselves to pre-morbid functioning. Um, because if you do that, you are, you're, you're going to be behind all the time, right? You're going to say, you know, what was my life like when my brain was, you know, optimally functioning, you have to say, I need to see how much I've come from where, from, you know, from the most difficult part of my head injury, how much I start measuring your, um, your progress from there. And I think that will make a big difference. It's just a small cognitive shift, but it's going to make a huge difference in terms of being able to feel joy and an appreciation and and a feeling of success as opposed, because it, depending on the type of uh, trauma, the person may never get back to pre-morbid functioning. They may never be able to do all the things that they were doing before. And so if you're constantly comparing yourself to that, then you're always gonna be at a deficit. And no matter how much progress you've made over the last month or year or 10 years, you're still just gonna say, well, but it's still not as good as it used to be. And what a terrible yeah. place to be instead of saying, look at how far I've come. I couldn't walk before and now I can walk 10 steps or I couldn't, you know, I couldn't speak. And now I can say complete sentences. Give yourself credit for the progress that you've made.
0: Yes. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. That is exactly what I meant. <laughs> post post injury, compare yourself to, to yeah. that where you were. And, and with concussions, I think, so concussions are mild traumatic brain injuries. They're Still a traumatic brain injury, but they're on the mild end. And a lot of times, this is something that I I want people to know that healing from those is possible. You can recover from mm-hmm. a concussion. But there are some, some people who come through the clinic that I work at who haven't been able to walk and have like been haven't been able to talk. Their, their injuries can be significant and coming from a variety of sources too not only for concussions but there is there is progress to be made always i think for everybody yeah, yeah. even though and and sometimes you're right there's th- certain things that we may not ever get back but it is like you said important not to compare to who you were in the past because you're never going to be who you were in the past anyway nobody is <laughs> you're always
1: that's, that's such a good point
0: yeah. <laughs> life is continually progressing and so yeah. yeah it's important to to keep those in mind Awesome. I think these are really good, important topics that we're bringing up. Thank you. So, how about for the people who are loving or supporting a friend or a family member who's experienced a loss like this? And on their end too, there's so many emotions that are they're experiencing. There's again sorrow and grief for the loss of their like for their loved one's pain and struggle, and for their own grief at the changes in their lives, confusion and sadness at the changes in personality of their loved one, stress with all the medical, insurance, and sometimes legal issues that can arise depending on the way the person was injured. So what can they do to specifically address the emotions that they're dealing with? If there's any difference, I don't, maybe it's all the same. <laughs> sure.
1: I, I, I think one of it, it, one part is the same. And I, 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 cause I have two thoughts when it comes to that. And the first thought is the same. The second thought is different. The first thought is, again, it's okay to have these experiences. It's okay to be frustrated at a frustrating situation. It's okay to be angry at an angering situation. Uh, if we we can just give our space to have give ourselves space to have those feelings, uh, it doesn't mean. And there's a difference between saying it's okay for me to feel this way, and that's just the way it is, and I can't change. You know, that's different. I, what I would like people to say in those situations is, yes, it's okay for me to feel frustrated now, but I'm going to work to get to the point where this is no longer frustrating for me. I, I, sometimes I see people say in, in kind of this radical acceptance of mental health. And they say, well, I'm just an anxious person. That's always the way I'm going to be. It's burned into my DNA. And I just, I don't like that attitude because it puts the person in a very helpless circumstance. It says, I do not have control over my situation. And like I said earlier, I don't think that there's, there there may be, we may not be able to change everything 100%, but we can always change something. And anytime you make your life different, it changes everything around you. You introduce uh, change into that system and necessarily the rest of the system is going to change to adapt to you. It may not change exactly how you want it to, but if you become different, then that's going to impact your relationship with your spouse or your children or your friends or your family, uh, anything like that. So just taking accountability for your own emotions. Secondly, when it comes to the support people, if you're making it more about yourself than about the person you're supporting, then I think that's a dangerous place to be. You know, look at look at how this is affecting me. Look at how your trials are causing me grief. I just think that if if you're going to be the type of person that's going to get in there and get dirty and be supportive, which you don't have to be, I mean, you could just say, hey, I'm going to leave this to the professionals or this is too much for me. I'm out. I'm not going to be that support person. But if you're going to be on the team, then It needs to be mostly about the person you're helping and not about you. And so if you find yourself becoming angry because of, you know, the the changes or the burden or something like that, then I think you need to give some consideration and say, look, is there a different way I need to approach this? Do I need to be off the team? You know, because if I can't handle this without getting bitter and angry at the person who's gone through this that's the last thing they need they're the one that have the concussion they're the ones that are dealing with uh, with the the major symptoms of what's going on you're just dealing with the collateral damage and if and if you're like i said making it more about yourself than about them that's just a bad it's a bad place for a person in a supportive role
0: how can somebody find the balance between like you were saying before like allowing themselves to feel the feelings that come up with this because they're they are going to be probably having some of those emotions come up how can they uh, like lean into that while also not making it about them (laughs) like what are what are strategies i guess the thing that comes to my mind is just making sure they're taking care of themselves emotionally and doing like if they need to take a step back and like take care of themselves whatever self-care kind of thing needs to happen so they can be in a better place that's what comes to my mind but what what other things would you say
1: I think yeah, being aware of the emotions and and making them, um, making them very overt. And I'm trying to think of a better way to describe that. My wife is so good at this. She started a, a thought and emotion journal years ago, and every night she just sits down and writes down some of the experiences she had that day, how she felt about those experiences, what she can do about them, and just even putting it down on paper has been so helpful. Because then you can actually start to process it. Our emotions are often just this kind of jumble in our brains, and and there's not a lot we can do about the emotions because oftentimes they just happen to us. But what we can do is, in retrospect, we can go back and say, okay, why was I so angry today? What was going on? You know, and and then kind of break it down, think about it. If you work with a counselor, you know, a mental health professional, that's almost always what they're going to do is they're going to sit and talk with you about what, you know, what were you thinking? How did that affect you? Were those thoughts accurate? You know, if if they're not accurate, can you change those thoughts? And if you're going to change them, what do you want to change them to be? So I appreciate you bringing that up because there does obviously need to be a balance between self-care. You don't want to become so completely involved with someone else that you're just codependent and and you don't address any of your own issues as well. But I've seen sometimes where uh, that goes to the extreme and people are just so bitter about the stuff that they're going through, that uh, that it impacts their ability to care for others. So we just need to learn to be aware of our emotions. And it's not a skill that uh, is very common, particularly to Westerners. Um, uh, uh, Eastern nations tend to be better about that. They are better about living in the present, uh, understanding those sorts of things. Native Americans typically are very good at this about just understanding what it means to be in the moment and, and to enjoy that. Westerners we're terrible at it. We we spend all of our time thinking about the future or fretting about the past, and the present is just almost completely wasted for us. There, there are a lot of things we could learn from our um, some of our uh, international counterparts that way.
0: Yes, came into that. I want to bring up something that when you were talking about acceptance and being careful not to have it be like I think you called it radical acceptance, where you're just like whatever in victim mode. I think mm-hmm. it is such an interesting and important topic, just this, this idea of acceptance, because I do feel like accepting what is this reality of where you're at right now is key. But I really love the point that you made that it's not just a, well, okay, this is how it is. And this is how it is. And I'm just going to be stuck like this forever. It's a, it's an acceptance with a, with a purpose kind of, and that's empowering. I was just talking to a friend the other night about an experience that I had where I, I was struggling in a relationship that I had. And I, was judging this person. And then I was judging myself for judging them. And I I was doing this for so many years. And I, when I finally realized what was going on, um, and I was willing to accept that this was what was happening, like, it's okay, yeah. that I feel this way. And to stop judging myself, it allowed me to look at the situation so much more clearly, because I wasn't just trying to push it away the whole time and like resisting it. And so when I accepted it, it was like, oh, okay, now I see this is the part that I feel uncomfortable with. This is the part that I want to keep and that I do feel is serving me. And I can choose that and be very like discerning and intentional about it. And it's completely changed the way that I, my relationship with this person, like it's, it's been very impactful for me, but I think it's a similar thing with this kind of acceptance of, you know, what we're dealing with maybe internally or physically it's, if we're willing to. Look at it and say, "Okay, I'm I'm going to accept that this is what is happening for me right now." Then we're not pushing it away, ignoring it, and unwilling right. and unable to make any progress. But once we're willing to do that and see where we're at, and not berate ourselves for being where we're at, then we can yeah. move forward. <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of key. <laughs>
1: I, I totally agree. I, I'm a musical theater buff. I don't know if you've seen the move, mu- the musical Hades Town uh it is oh it's amazing it's uh it it instantly became one of my top five favorites in a long list of amazing musicals it was the story of Orpheus and Eurydice from Greek mythology but just extremely well done but but one of my favorite lines in it is from Orpheus who is a he's a bard and um and there's a group of people together and they're all excited because Persephone has shown up and it's summertime and she has brought the wine of summertime and so they're all there raising a glass And they ask Orpheus to make the toast, and Orpheus, uh, his toast is to the world we dream about, and to the one we live in now. And I just love that because he's saying it's okay to think about better days, right? It's okay to think, okay, I'd love my situation to be better, but I'm also grounded in where I'm at right now. He's saying, and I'm also going to toast the way things are right now because that that's the hand I've been dealt, and so I'm going to deal with that. I just love that idea of saying. It's okay to be where I'm at right now, but I am also looking forward to a time when things will be better. And when we look forward to times when things being better in time, that's not because someone else is going to do something to make our life better. That's because we are going to do something to make our life better. We spend a lot of time waiting around for our situation to improve, waiting for someone else to do something that's going to improve our situation. And for some people, that's a lifelong wait. Because, and such a disempowering situation to be in, instead of saying, what can I do to improve my circumstance? And and there's just so much power in that. That's when I was talking about earlier, just seeing that hope in people's eyes. I I love that when I'm able to teach them that and say, what can you do to even introduce 1% change into your situation? And then they go from feeling like a victim to feeling empowered. And they say, well, there is something I can do. And it's uh, just this cognitive mind shift, almost a a quantum leap of thought where they say, you know what, I can just do this differently. Very similar to the situation you just described. As you changed the way you approached that situation, it completely modified the quality of that relationship. And that didn't happen because the other person did something. That happened because you did something.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It is very powerful. And I, I love that quote from that play. I was really... Really powerful. I got got chills when you said it. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> it's um, a, if
1: you love if you love musical theater, go listen to Hades Town. It's so so good.
0: Okay. I'll have to check it out. Thank you. And along these lines, if it's okay, I just want to share one more analogy that I really like. This is something that I um, got from Jody Moore, and she talks about you know when you're it's it's kind of like when you're putting in your coordinates into a gps to have you know or telling Siri where you are so <laughs> that you can say where you want to be she she checks out where you are and she doesn't berate you for being there she's not like i can't yeah. believe you're right there what is what are you thinking how did you get there like she's just like okay here's where you are and then here's where you want to be and so this is how we calculate <laughs> how to get there and so like you said if we're if we're okay to be where we're at and then we can make progress there is there's a destination that we're going for but it's okay to have both in your mind and your heart. So,
1: Absolutely. It's okay to be where we're at, but don't plan on staying there. Uh, Get moving. Get a destination and get moving.
0: Love it. I love that. Um, So I saw that you had written an article on self-compassion in relation to emotional resilience. And I think this is so important and something that a lot of my clients really do struggle with. Like, How can they love themselves or have compassion on themselves when they don't even know who they are anymore and can't do the things that they want to do. So why is self-compassion so important in this? And what advice would you give to people who are struggling with it?
1: So I think that uh, you have to, you just have to learn to do things differently. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, not too long ago who kind of later in life started to develop some pretty serious anxiety. Uh, She'd always struggled to a certain extent, but it had got pretty significant. And she was just kind of saying she didn't know how to understand things the way that she did before, because now there was this kind of anxiety filter over everything. And and she said it was almost like trying to learn a new language. But she said, but once I understood the new language, then I was able to move forward. And I loved that because instead of saying, I I need everything to go back to the way it was when I didn't have all this anxiety, I need need the universe to communicate with me in a way like it always did before, that's not going to happen. But she learned to kind of see that a different way. People that have had these life changing events, uh, um, life changing issues like concussions, need to understand that yeah, it's probably not going to be, at least in the short term, it's not going to go back to the way it was before. And like you said, depending on the severity of the concussion, it may. But in some cases, it may not, depending on how much trauma the brain uh, experienced. And to just say, I think your analogy of the GPS, Jody Moore's analogy of that is perfect. It's saying self-compassion is saying, it's okay for me to be where I'm at right now. And even if that was your own fault, even if that was something that that you did, I have a good friend who is a, a nationally renowned uh, public speaker. His name is Chad Hymas, and he's a, a quadriplegic. Uh, and he became a quadriplegic when he was about 22 years old, because he was on a tractor, and he was lifting a 2,000 pound uh, bale of hay. And, uh, you know, he, he was good at doing it. And, uh, you know, very skilled at moving those hay bales around, and didn't secure the load, like he should have, but he didn't need to, right, because he's really good at it. And that hay bale flipped over on him and crushed him. And he's been in a wheelchair ever since. Uh, And where where he wanted to be a farmer and a rancher for his whole life now he's a public speaker and he's probably on an airplane right now flying to someplace exotic to to speak to someone and uh, and give them inspiration exactly and if chad spent all his time just thinking about how stupid it was for him to not secure that bale of hay well he could spend a lifetime doing that um and and quite frankly there was an element of that that was his fault, and he'll tell you that himself. You know that if he had done things differently, he'd probably be a farmer today. I think there'd be millions of people less inspired in the world if that would have happened. And so, I, I really think that he's that maybe that happened for a reason. But the past is in the past. You know that it, it's over, it's done, and fretting about it gets us nowhere. We need to decide where we're at right now and how we can get forward for, and how we can move forward from there. And so. Uh, you know, if people are feeling a lot of guilt about what's happened or anger at themselves, I would say just do your best just to say, you know what, that's just done. That is over. It is, we're going to go around and round, wasted space. You've probably seen the movie Apollo 13. And uh, there's a time in there where they ask, um, uh, it's it's not Tom Hanks, but it's uh, Kevin Bacon and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, and they, and they and he says, and he asks him what was the oxygen reading when you stirred the tanks and because you he, because he's thinking if you wouldn't have done that we wouldn't be in this situation and so they start blaming they start going back and forth and then tom hanks tells them to be quiet and he says we are not going to go around and around for 15 minutes to end up in the exact same place we are right now he says we're going to work the problem it doesn't matter what the reading was it doesn't matter what happened right now we are st- doing what we can to save our lives. And so we're not going to waste energy in trying to figure out whose fault this was, because even if we do figure out whose fault it is, it doesn't matter. We're still (laughs) stranded in space, right? It doesn't matter. (laughs) So I think even if you could figure out whose fault it was that you're in this situation or what you did wrong, it doesn't matter because we're still exactly in the same place. Let's just figure out how to get from here to where we'd like to be.
0: Mm. Yes, so true. I think arguing with the past is definitely always a losing argument. <laughs> um, and yeah, I totally. love the story about Chad that there's perhaps higher purpose in these things. And and yeah. if we can find that uh, or believe even just try to believe that there is some greater purpose in it, then that can make the burdens a lot lighter, I think. And it may not always be easy to access that belief. <laughs> but I think that does yeah. it can make a huge difference. And yeah, I just I love The idea of that self-compassion and that love for yourself, even if, even if it was your fault or, you know, or whatever, whatever brought you to the stage that you're in right now, just loving on you because you're worth loving. Like everybody is, and that's just important for everybody to know anything, anything else that you think people should be aware of or paying attention to as they try to improve their emotional resilience?
1: Uh, just to be patient with yourself, like we've talked about before, change takes time. And I love your analogy of the river and how that relates to, you know, the neuroplasticity of the brain. And, and that's it's a great analogy because I think there are kind of little rivulets in the brain. I think that's what those neural pathways are almost exactly like that. And if you've been doing something consistently for 20 years and you expect that to change tomorrow, it's not going to change tomorrow. It just won't but it can change in three months or six months or a year through consistently uh, like that river and you say okay tomorrow i'm going to get out my shovel and i'm going to start digging a new uh, direction for this river that's fantastic and please keep digging keep -hmm. digging and give yourself and and two months later when that river is just barely heading in that new direction don't give up keep going keep digging keep digging that's the most important thing when it comes to any sort of emotional or mental change is just to be consistent at it. I often compare it to uh, like diet and exercise and which, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, diet and exercise works, absolutely works 100% of the time. But someone could say, well, Dr. Morgan, I, uh, I tried your thing. I ate an apple and I did five push-ups. And then I got back on the scale and I weighed the exact same as I did before. Yeah, you do, you will, you know, <laughs> but if you Because if you do and exercise for, you know, three minutes, it's not going to have nearly as an effect as effect if you do it for three months or three years or 30 years or something like that. So it's the exact same thing with emotional and mental improvement.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: need to give yourself space and time to improve. And if things don't get better right away, just keep doing the things that you know are going to eventually yield results, and they will. But you have to be consistent with it. So go into it knowing that. I was just telling a a woman this the other night at an event I spoke at and she came up to me afterwards and she I was talking about changing your thoughts and she said, I've had a lot of negative thoughts in my life and I felt really inspired tonight to to change those. And I said, I think that's wonderful. I said, just be aware that when you try to do this tomorrow, you're gonna fail. It's not going to work. You're gonna try to change your negative thoughts tomorrow and you're gonna go right back into that same old pattern. So just be aware of that and just keep going get right back on the horse and go, go, go. And then in time, you're going to start to see progress. So don't give up at that first failure or the second failure or the 10th or the 100th failure, just keep going. Mm,
0: I love that. Yes. Amen. <laughs> I um, there's At the clinic that I work at, there are some employees who work there who had gone through the program and had had concussions themselves and, and went through the program. And I asked them, what is what is advice that you would give? Like if you could just summarize everything down into a couple sentences, what would you, what would you say to people to offer them? You know, what advice would you give them? And they said two words, patience and hope. And I think that's exactly (laughs) applicable for concussions or for anybody dealing with working on emotional resilience. It's this exactly what you said. It's patience and know that continual progress is going to yield results. And and hope that that will happen, even if you don't see it in the moment, just have that patience that it will. And that's coming from people who've seen it yeah. and experienced it and look back and worked with people who have done it. I think if you can't find that faith and that belief in yourself at the moment, leaning on people who have seen it can be very powerful. So I really yeah. appreciate your your insight into that because you have experience with this. <laughs> so that's-
1: I love watching good quality running backs in football and one of the things you'll notice about a good running back is they never stop moving their legs they'll hit a tackle and they just keep running and and their legs are just going 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 until they're finally brought down and the ones that do that will actually get past the first tackle sometimes the second tackle they'll get an extra five yards just because they keep moving their legs even though they've hit this significant resistance you know a 240 pound you know defensive back who just comes and hits them head on but they just keep going they just keep moving their legs i love that idea it's just we have to just keep going doing our best regardless of what headwinds we hit and and it, and eventually we're going to be brought down of course because some headwinds are just too powerful but that you're going to be stronger for the next time and yeah. and in the meantime you've got you're another two yards ahead of where you were before
0: Oh, I love that analogy. That's that's really good. And speaking of concussions, <laughs> football is yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah. <laughs> right notorious,
1: along. unfortunately, for head injuries.
0: Yeah. Same same genre here. So that's good. So what resources would you point people to if they want to increase or improve their emotional resilience? Are there places that you send. So people I would say, home?
1: yeah. So I would say um there are probably two categories of this no, for in two categories of people that are trying to improve their emotional resilience. And there's one, I would say the first category are those that are just they're they're functioning pretty well in life. They're, you know, they're struggling here and there with some things, but generally speaking, they're able to get done what they want to do. And I would suggest at that point, any just sort of self-help thing you can, you know, look online you know, search Amazon for emotional resilience books or something like that. There's all sorts of resources. There's free resources online. And I think just getting a better understanding of those things can help. And then the second category, I would say, are people who are really struggling. People who, you know, are their mental health is to the point where they are just not functioning effectively in life. And at that point, I think you really need to get some sort of professional help. And And my recommendation for that is always try to find a licensed and credentialed mental health provider uh, to help you with that. Um, so this is someone who probably, who at the very least has a master's degree, may have a doctorate uh, and um, and who's credentialed or licensed by their jurisdiction, their state or their province or whatever it is to provide those types of services. There's a lot of a different sort of uh, kind of quasi mental health help going on out there. And, and I think that's, it's great for people who just need a little bit of help, but it's kind of like the difference between you know going to your friend and asking for a band aid, and then you know you've got a compound fracture. You don't want to go to that same friend who only has band aids. You need to get to an emergency room and have someone who is skilled at setting bones and and putting things back together. And sometimes our emotional issues are the are the compound fractures of life, and we need to get. You know, competent professional help and not, and not to be afraid of that. It's. I think we say, well, I should be able to do this by myself. For a cold, yes, you should be able to take care of that yourself. If your bone is sticking out of your leg, you shouldn't sit there and go, well, I'm sure I can figure this out. I can probably, you know, I'll just kind of poke around at this. I'll Google it and see what's going on, see what I can do. It's not going to work. So if your emotional issues are the effect of a compound fracture, go get professional help. It's okay. And that's the right thing to do.
0: Is there a specific place that you, like to point people to find that or is it just they just need to look in their Um, with what's failed
1: yeah the easiest thing the easiest way to get started if you do have health insurance is to contact your insurance provider and see if you can get a list of people they contract with so that way at least the you know the charge out of pocket is going to be less to you if you don't have insurance then you can just start calling around right now this is um uh september 2023 uh it's it's very difficult to get access to mental health services they are completely overwhelmed and you're often going to find waiting lists of months in order to get in and so i used to tell people you could be picky about your mental health provider and if you didn't like one go find a different one now it's that's changed a little bit because you could do that but it might take you two years to actually find someone you like because you go from one waiting list to the next to the next and so right now you might just uh, take what you can get because there is such a high demand and such a low supply and that will probably change where i think we're still reeling from the effects of of the pandemic and kind of seeing the, the the emotional after effect of that and and this could be a time when maybe more people are trying to get into the profession and so three or four years from now we may see a glut of mental health providers and 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 not as much uh, demand as there was before so that's kind of hard to predict but right now if you need mental health assistance, call someone as soon as you can. If they have an opening, take it. If they don't, get on a waiting list and uh, and get that started.
0: Okay. And how can people hear more from you? Or I don't know if working with you is an option, but what? how can they get more from Dr. Morgan?
1: Yeah, so I, I don't do uh, private practice. Like I said, I'm transitioning more into kind of uh, corporate work right now. Uh, but I have a website. It's drdavidtmorgan.com. And and I've got a bunch of um, articles on there, and and videos and stuff like that. It is it is faith based. I'll just put that out there. And so almost all the content you're going to see on there is going to be from a, a Christian kind of a Christian philosophy uh, and approach to mental health, which I think is applicable to you know it's obviously applicable to billions worldwide. And so if you uh, if you have a basis in faith, then you'll find that you know, very familiar to you. And if you don't, then, uh, you know, you can go look at it anyway. And if it's not for you, then it's not for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, your website is great. I was on it earlier and I will put a link to it in the, in the show notes here. Well, this has been a really, really beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this. I think it is important for everybody. Like I said, any humans who have human emotions need to know this stuff. So, and, and for people who've experienced concussions and those who love them. So thank you again for being here and for sharing this with us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm so glad you listened in today. I hope you have gained some helpful insights and inspiration regarding dealing with and recovering from concussions. My goal is to create more awareness and education about concussions and the fact that there is so much that can be done to improve life after someone has had one. Help me spread the message by liking, commenting, rating, and subscribing to this podcast and share it with others who would benefit from hearing it. There are more resources available on my website. And again, if you or someone you love would benefit from concussion coaching, sign up for a free consultation using the link in the show notes or at my website, www.concussioncoach.com. Thank you. See you next time and take good care of that amazing brain of yours.